0: Welcome to another edition of the Bible in the News. As events heat up in the world, many would say that we are seeing signs of an imminent rapture of the church to heaven. Is this really what we're about to see? We do see Russia and Iran strengthening ties, and Russia is getting more involved as events heat up in the Straits of Hormuz. Ezekiel chapter 38 causes us to expect Russia's involvement, as it says there in verse 7 that Russia would be a guard unto those that are assembled to her. In verse 2, we read, Son of man, set thy face towards Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Down in verse 5, we see that Persia is involved. Persia, Cush, and foot with him, all of them with shield and helmet. In verse 7, it says, Be thou prepared, yea, prepare thyself, thou and all thy companies that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. So this Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, and so on, is to be a guardian force to its allies, including to Persia. Persia, of course, is the modern-day Iran. If we add to this what we read in Daniel chapter 11, especially of verse 40, it fills in the picture just a little bit. It says there, And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. Now Daniel chapter 11, of course, deals with the history after the breakup of the Greek Empire. It was separated into four parts, and two of those were or the king of the north and the king of the south. And much of the chapter goes through the, the raids and fighting and events that happen as the king of the north and the king of the south tussle with each other. So, back to chapter 11, verse 40. In the American Standard Version, it reads, And at the time of the end shall the king of the south contend with him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, and so on. But notice there how it says that he is to contend with him, rather than just to push at him. Pushing, it sounds like maybe that's just a single event. He makes a push, and the king of the north responds. And of course, the implication of the him in this chapter is that this is the king of the north and the king of the south contending with each other. The trigger seems to be this contending, goring, or pushing, which... As we've said, it's not just a single action, but a contending, the contention between them. them so there's some kind of tussle that is going on over some period of time. Here's the word, just to um, just to show you where that comes from. It is um, a verb to push, to thrust, or to gore, and this is in the hit pale form of the verb. And um, in that case, it means to engage in thrusting with, to wage war with. So it's like we said, it's, it's more of an ongoing, repeated action. So as we look around in the news, some updates, um, we see that Iran has been seizing ships in the Persian Gulf. Um, and there was, of course, earlier the bombings of various ships that was widely blamed on Iran, although they deny that. And um, Iran is expanding military ties with Russia, and there's there's information and misinformation about that, of how, how far this has gone on and, and to what extent. Um, but nonetheless, for sure, ties are expanding. And the Tehran Times says that Iran and Russia have signed a classified deal. Um, so, of course, we don't know exactly what that entails. There's some details there, but um, suffice it to say they're getting cozier which, of course, they're dealing with with common enemies and a common situation. They're both dealing with sanctions from the United States, and um, they're both trying to resist that, and they're trying to help each other out in that case. And we see that Israel is to be involved in this crisis in the Straits of Hormuz, in the Persian Gulf, and um, Iran objects to this involvement. Iran says Israel involvement in Gulf naval mission would be disastrous. They're, of course, threatening uh, action if that takes place. So, as we said, some see these things as indication of a rapture of the church to heaven. Here is the rapture forums, and a quote from that website says, This coalition is stopped in the mountains of Israel. This is commenting on Ezekiel 38 with Russia. By none other than God himself, with the classic weapons of fire, brimstone, and hailstones, the invading forces will meet their defeat. Israel will be saved for the day, and their eyes will once again be opened to God. Sounds pretty accurate. And it carries on. The Ezekiel 38-39 war is a pre-tribulational event. So it's something they expect to happen before the the, the tribulation and the rapture. And they carry on and means that currently most secular Israel will return to the God of their fathers once again. It will not be until the second coming that Israel as a whole will recognize their Messiah in Jesus Christ. So what is this referring to? I'm just going to play a little clip next by a man who's going to explain some typical ideas about the rapture, and we'll compare them with scripture in a minute. When the future tribulation is for Israel, for the Jews. All right. So we have here 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the final says, Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Why is it a comfort? Well, it's a comfort to know that Jesus is coming for his bride, the church. And that's why Jesus comes for at the rapture. He comes to take the church, which he calls his bride, out. So it's a wedding ceremony. Now the other time is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is the other passage which Paul tells us what takes place on the rapture. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. So a rapture is really just like a snatching away. Um, The the word in of itself isn't necessarily the problem, but let's let's look at the details of what people are expecting when they use that word. Um, First, there's a great tribulation coming on the Jews, and Christians will enjoy the wedding supper in heaven while the Jews suffer under Antichrist. So the the church, as they would expect, is going to ascend to heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ and enjoy a wedding supper in heaven. In the meantime, there's Jews in Israel suffering under Antichrist. Second, Christ is coming to take people to heaven for a short time before returning to set up the kingdom. That's obviously implied by number one. And third, the 70 weeks prophecy has a gap in the middle, so they, they take this the last week of the 70 weeks prophecy. They call it Daniel's 70th week and shoot it forward a couple thousand years. Number four, Antichrist is coming to the future temple in Jerusalem. So, raptured away to escape judgment on the Jews. Is this this biblical? Is this what we can expect? Where does this come from? So first of all, a little thought about tribulation on the Jews. Um, Of course, this is supposedly to convert them. So. A couple of thoughts about that. If tribulation was going to convert the Jews, why did it not work in the Holocaust or any of their other harsh sufferings down the ages? And is tribulation of this sort after their return prophesied? Is this what the Bible is teaching? And how does the Bible say that they will be converted? A couple of um, of things about the teaching of Israel. There are verses about that, um, and that that definitely is to happen. Um, Jeremiah 3, verse 14 and 15 It says, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family and will bring you to Zion. And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. So there's a feeding of Israel, a spiritual feeding that is to take place. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest they come and smite the earth with a curse. So there's a prophet that's to be sent. Elijah, the prophet of old, is to be resurrected and sent to the nation of Israel. But the point here is that Israel is to be instructed by those sent from God. And that is how they are to be spiritually changed, not that they will change as a result of some great tribulation. Now, let's skip over to jeremiah chapter thirty one verse ten it says, "Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say he that scattered Israel will keep him, gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock, for the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the, land, the hand of him that was stronger than he, therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, and shall flow together in the goodness of the Lord for wheat and for wine and for oil." and for the young of the flock and of the herd, and their souls shall be as a watered garden, and they shall not sorrow any more at all. So, notice there in verse 10, that scattered Israel will be gathered, and God will keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. So the overall story of Israel's being gathered, brought to the land, is that God gathers and keeps them. They're not coming there, to be persecuted and dispersed again. So the, the time of return is a time of mercy. We can gain that as well from other passages. And um, the primary tribulation on the Jews was 70 AD. Now to illustrate that, we would like to spend some time in Matthew 24, which we won't do today, but that, that also talks about the tribulation. And um, it's an important passage regarding this. And the key to that passage is, that is, is at the beginning where it's stated what it is referring to. And it is talking about the destruction of the temple. If this time hadn't been shortened, no flesh of Israel should have been saved. During the, the events around 70 AD and the destruction of the temple and their dispersion among the nations, two-thirds of the nation were wiped out and the rest were dispersed. Now we have to look carefully at Romans chapter 11 and consider the context of the passage that he uses. And there's a couple of important things to notice here. Let's go to Romans 11 and verse 11 where it starts, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. Certainly not. But rather through their fall salvation is come unto the Gentiles. So due to the rejection Of the Jews, of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the first century, um, the gospel went out into the Gentiles. And that happened to provoke Israel to jealousy. Verse 12, now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Verse 13, for I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. Verse 14, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them, for if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? That last part is exceedingly important. We need to notice that. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, because... They were reconciled through Jesus Christ. What shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? So they are received at the same time as there is life from the dead. Now this is important because um, the rapture model has the dead being raised and taken to heaven. And then they're in heaven for seven years and then they come back and then Israel is received. The receiving of Israel is very closely linked to the resurrection. We're not raised and separated from them for a period of tribulation. The two are linked together. Now let's just look at this a little bit further and say, are we taken away to heaven at all? Where does this come from and, and, and how is this taught? So one passage he referred to was 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now if we look at that, we'll start Verse 51. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? So according to Mr. Robert Breaker, this shows that the rapture is to give Christians a glorified body. Well, when I look at this chapter, there's things that I see here, and they include sleep, change, resurrection, trumpet, immortality. Yes, there is a glorified body that is given, but what I don't see is a rapture, and it doesn't speak of going anywhere. So this doesn't actually teach a rapture to heaven at all. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2 has a succinct description of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and what happens. It says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by a gathering together unto him, so two things happen here. The Lord comes, and we're gathered to him. Verse 2, that you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. So it's going to be a long time. So there's two things to happen. The Lord comes, and we're gathered, and we're not gathered before he comes. Where are we going to? Let's flip over to First Thessalonians chapter four. First Thessalonians four is a key passage regarding this. This this is where it all comes from. First Thessalonians chapter four and verse fifteen. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or proceed them which are asleep. So he's talking about the coming of the lord verse 16 for the lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of god and the dead in christ shall rise first so so far we have two steps the lord returns and the dead are raised verse 17 then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in clouds to meet the lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord." Now this is where all the craziness happens. So what does it say? It says, <clears throat> we shall be caught up together with them in clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So this is interpreted as meaning, the Lord comes and and raises the dead, and those that are raised and those that are alive and remain are caught up together into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, which is interpreted as being heaven. So where are we to meet the Lord? It says in the air. So the question, first question we like to ask is, is air heaven? There it is again. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So the word air is what we'd like to focus in on here. Now, one thing that's very interesting about this word, if we look it up in Thayer's, Thayer points out that this word particularly means the lower and denser air as distinguished from the higher and rarer air. There's another word for that higher, rarer air. Now, we have to remember that this is talking classical Greek. What atmosphere are they aware of? what's the air density range that we could be talking about here? Nobody was flying. There was no rockets going into space. <clears throat> We're not talking about the very outer reaches of the atmosphere. We're maybe talking about as low as people could have experienced would be down by the Dead Sea where the atmosphere is really thick and heavy and you can feel the humidity and weight of the atmosphere on you. And when you get up into high up into a mountain and you maybe have to breathe twice to get a proper breath because if you run too fast, you run out of air and I hope you're in good shape because the air is thinner up there. So they actually have different words to describe this. And the word that is used here is the word for the lower and denser air. Also of note is that back in verse 16, the usual word for heaven is used. So, if we were talking about taking people to heaven, why would it not use that word that was used in verse 16, again here in verse 17? Now, the other thing to look at is being caught up. In which we are, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So, we've seen that the air is talking about the lower atmosphere. So then, how are we being caught up in clouds if we're in the lower atmosphere? Well, if we look at some literal translations, uh, we'll start with the Berean literal Bible, then we, the living remaining, will be caught away together with them in clouds for the meeting of the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. So notice how it changes it. It's no, no longer being caught up. That is put onto the text that is interpreted, um, because it says about the clouds, it's interpreted as needing to be going up, but really the literal Greek is caught away. Young's literal has the same, then we who are living, who are remaining over together with them shall be caught away in clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Let's just read Rotherham, after that we the living who are left together with them shall be caught away in clouds to meet the Lord in the air in the air, and thus evermore with the Lord we shall be. So let's look at this concept of being snatched away. First Thessalonians 4, verse 17, in the Young's literal, Then we who are the living, remaining over, together with them, shall be caught away in clouds. So that's the verse that we're looking at. Now this is the same Greek word here in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 12. It says, And from the days of... John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. So on the earth today, the violent people take things by force. Now that's the same word. So there is being snatched away is the idea. It's it's sudden and forceful as I think the idea that we're trying to get at. Again, another example. This one is very important. We'd like to spend a minute talking about it. Acts chapter eight, starting verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, so he snatched away from that situation, that the eunuch saw him no more. He disappeared, and he went on his way rejoicing. Verse 40, But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So Philip was, was snatched away from the situation that he was in and was found somewhere else. Now, as far as direction is concerned, in this case, the place that Philip was, was closer to Jerusalem and was a bit higher up, but where he was found in Azotus was lower down. So he wasn't caught up, he was, he was caught away. Okay, so we're, we're caught away in clouds. So if it's not talking about up in the air somewhere, if it's low, dense air, you know, is this fog, what what are we talking about? The important thing to notice is in some translations, it's more accurate, like the Young's Literal, that's, you know, sometimes it's even difficult to read a little bit because it's quite faithful to what the text says. So it is caught away in clouds, not in the clouds, which might seem like a subtle difference, but it does kind of change the meaning of it. So there's no definite article. In Hebrews chapter 12, 1st Hebrews chapter 11, as you may be familiar with, is often called the chapter of faith, and it lists people who through, down through the ages looked for a city. They looked for the coming of Messiah. They looked for the promises of God to be fulfilled. Many of those people are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. So then Hebrews chapter 12 starts off, therefore, we also having so great a cloud of witnesses set around us. So this this group of faithful people who have looked for the promises of God down through the ages are called here a cloud of witnesses. So there's a large group of people together of faithful that are called a large cloud. Carry on um, every weight having put off and the closely besetting sin through endurance may we run the contest that is set before us. So that is again the Young's literal. So the faithful of Hebrews chapter 11 are described as a cloud. So if we plug that back into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17, then we who are the living, who are remaining over together with them, shall be caught away in large groups of people that are like clouds to meet the Lord on earth in the atmosphere that is the lower atmosphere rather than being on top of a mountain. And so always with the Lord we shall be. So we're caught, we're snatched away, and no direction is indicated. So skipping on then to the prophecy of 70 weeks. This is quite key and um, and is important. So as you see on the screen there, there's an example of the kind of, of thing that we see. We have at beginning in about 444 B.C. with the decree to build, rebuild Jerusalem. Now, interestingly, there is more than one decree to rebuild Jerusalem, so you have a little bit of flexibility there of, of where this is going to start from, which is often the key with um, biblical prophecies about timing of events, is it's not always clear exactly where you should start. But after things happen, you can see how well they fit, they, they fit in. And it gives you a very good idea of the of the season that you are in, that you know that now is about the right time. And sometimes people get these quite accurate and come up with very amazing predictions. But anyway, that, that, by the way. So <clears throat> they will start at about 444 B.C. And they will say that um, the coming of Jesus, Messiah the Prince, um, is fulfilled in about 33 A.D., in the lifetime of Jesus. And then they have a proposed time gap and um, the 69 weeks are fulfilled and then they've got they've got a big gap after Jesus and they have the 70th week to be in the future when a covenant with Israel and the abomination of desolation at the midpoint um, by the prince who is to come. Now interestingly, if I was to read Daniel, I would think that the prince who is to come is the Lord Jesus Christ. However, they have this as a coming Antichrist. So let's take a look at a few things. First of all, just a thought about gaps. Amos chapter 3, verse 7 says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. So if we follow this and other gap theories offered by futurists, we end up with prophetic darkness for hundreds if not thousands of years. And we really need to say that the Lord isn't doing anything for all that time because there's virtually no information given. Now, the reason this is pertinent is because not only do we have a gap in the 70 weeks prophecy, but they do the same thing with the book of Revelation, so that down through the ages, you have this long period of time where there is virtually nothing. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sin. So this is a 70 week prophecy. And it's called that because it says 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. So it's 70 weeks upon Daniel's people. To finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So there's zero hint in any of this of any time gap in the middle of the 70 weeks. It just tells you, verse 24, that there's 70 weeks. Carry on, verse 25. Know therefore and understand, so he's going into more detail, that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, so that's our starting point, unto the coming of, the, of Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times verse twenty six after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood unto the end of the war. desolations are determined verse twenty seven and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate. Even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So again, there's no hint at any time gap, and there's no switch to Antichrist indicated. So this is what we would um, propose as a biblical seventy weeks. We have um, a couple of different decrees. Five thirty-seven is Cyrus's decree. Five. 19 is Darius' decree, and 457 is Artaxerxes' decree. Now, seven weeks after Artaxerxes' decree, Jerusalem is built in 408 B.C. So we have the uh, logical division there, that you have seven weeks for the building of Jerusalem. 62 weeks after that, we have Messiah anointed. So that's with John the Baptist. He is anointed from heaven with a dove, and so on the Holy Spirit, and then um, his ministry begins. So we've got the beginning of that final week. In the middle of that week, AD 31, the Lamb of God is crucified. There's a crucifixion of the Lord. And then AD 34, the gospel goes to the Gentiles. So That's the end of this time period for the Jews. By the time AD 34 happens, the transgression is finished, The way of forgiveness is there, and the 70 weeks is over. The last thing that is very important about this is the idea of the Antichrist. I'm not going to discuss that just now, because on March 4th this year, there was a Bible in the news that discussed about the signs that we're seeing being signs of the Lord Jesus Christ returning, and not the advent of a future Antichrist. So we'll refer you to that. So the March 4th Bible in the News on Antichrist. And um, just to summarize then, the events that we see in the world today are definitely pointing to the soon coming of events like Ezekiel chapter 38, and the establishment of the kingdom. But this whole idea of there being an Antichrist coming and, and other things happening is, is extremely dangerous um, because many of the things that people think Antichrist will do, the Lord Jesus Christ himself will do And Psalm 2 tells us that there will be many who will oppose the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes. Maybe if they think he's Antichrist, this is part of why. So we need to be careful as we look at the Bible in the news that we are interpreting things correctly and that we're expecting the Lord to come and not an Antichrist who's been here for a couple of thousand years. This has been Tim Billington joining you. Please come back again next week for more Bible in the News. God will.